0: That's okay. It's good to be with you all. I don't know, she, chance to meet you. Your name's Joe and uh, pastor here at City View, and it's good to be with you. I want to let you know uh, an update from this uh, last uh, Christmas season. If you were here with us, we are so happy to have you over Christmas Eve. Um, as we often do on Christmas Eve, we raise funds for um, uh Organization. We just give the Christmas Eve offering away to our organization, and this last year we did it for Mothers of Murdered Columbus Children, which is of course an organization that is exactly as it sounds. It is a community of mothers who have many of them have lost their uh, children, others have lost family members, nephews to violence in our city, and they have decided to turn their pain into purpose and do something about it. And so they've got a great initiative and a lot of work. They're some of the first people to show up when somebody's been hit or hurt or uh, passes away, do the violence in our city, wrapping around the families that are left so that they can um, provide relief. Um, together, we raised almost $6,000 for Mothers of Murdered Columbus Children. So, and that, that's good. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, well done. Very, very cool. Um, and it was this weird god thing that happened uh right after that um i let them know that we raised funds and then they said hey can we start spending can we spend those funds and i was like yeah and it started this weird conversation where they were literally planning an event and a video that they were paying for to get produced professionally and all this sort of stuff and we'll share some of this in the weeks to come Um, But ultimately, they came to us and said, hey, can you guys cover the expense? And I said, well, it's your money. We just haven't given it to you yet. So yeah, we'll just do it. And um, it started this conversation where I ended up uh, partnering with, our church ended up partnering with Mothers of Murdered Columbus Children, along with a lot of other partners, launching an initiative that we mentioned at Christmas Eve called Operation Under Triple Digits. So in the city of Columbus, there were 148 homicides uh, last year. And the goal is that there would be less than a hundred next year? One's too many, but the goal is to get it under a hundred. And uh, so, Mothers of Murdered Columbus children gathered together, a commu- uh, 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 about fifty stakeholders in our community. And it's hard to explain this this event. It was a it was a week ago Saturday. They had their um, the mayor's office, city council. Chief of Police, Assistant Chief of Police, a variety of nonprofits and stakeholders, multiple judges. In fact, one of the judges stood up, and I forget her name. Um, and she stood up and she said to this room of about fifty people, "This is probably the first time in the history of our city where all of the stakeholders were in the room together to actually do something about this problem." And it was all because mothers of murdered Columbus children. I mean, who are you going to? How are you going to say no to them? You know, when they invite you to something, you gotta you gotta show up. And so we launched this operation under triple digits. It was in the news. You might have seen it. Uh, Dispatch did an article about it, uh, as well as a few other news stations. And uh, part of it is a pledge. So if you go to undertripledigits.org, you can take the pledge as well. We're at about 70, 80 pledges of people saying, I'm going to do my part in reducing violence in the city of Columbus. If you'd like to take that pledge, you can too. It does ask you a couple questions. It's going to ask you what you're going to do. Um, you can do that as your, as, an, as a community member. You can also do it as an, if you're a part of an organization, you're willing to sign up as your, me in this title of this organization I'm pledging. It gives you options. And it will show uh, your uh, your statements, your, your pledge on the website. So you can go there and check it out. I encourage you if you're part of this church and you're committed to our work around violence reduction to take the pledge. Um, that's going to get you on a list, and you're going to get some updates and emails as this initiative unrolls. Um, there is uh, So this last week was a, was a, a dinner launch. Uh, we had all of the major you know, city stakeholders in the room um, in February, and I forget the date, but if you sign up, you're going to get an email about it, okay? So you need to do that. But I think in February, there's gonna be an, uh, a community launch of this initiative. It'll be in Linden, it'll be outside, and uh, people will be in classic uh, style of, of, of American pursuit of justice. will be carrying signs, there'll be some speakers and things like that. So it's gonna be the big community uh, launch of Under Triple Digits. So I encourage you, if you have the time and you're willing to support this work, go to undertripledigits.org and it, it'll take you, if for some reason that's a forwarding URL, it's going to take you to mothersofmurderedcolumbuschildren.com, I think. So if some reason, like, hey, this, uh, some people have said that this gives you like a warning, like if you've got really high security on your computer, this URL might give you trouble. But uh, you can Google Under Triple Digits and it'll show you. The, the link that it's going to take you to Just, this is me being a little bit too tech savvy and helping you out here sorry <clears throat> she warned you so i encourage you to take a second uh today and do that um we're gonna to continue to be a, a part of the solution and um you know when we started our work making a commitment to violence reduction it's like anything we've ever done you know you don't know where it's going to lead you don't know what relationships are going to come out of it, what initiatives. You just know you got to take the next step. And so we're just trying to take the next step, which is why we started the Columbus Violence Reduction Fund. And now we've become a partner with Mothers of Murdered Columbus Children. And uh, we'll see where God takes us next. We don't know. But for now, our hope is to get, uh, uh, my hope is that in 20, are we in 2024? Yeah, we are. All right. All right. I'm getting over a cold, my brain's a little foggy. My hope is that when we get to 2025, that we'll look back and there'll be an announcement that homicides were under triple digits. And you all will know that our church played a part in that because that's what it means to be the people of Jesus. All right. So go and take the pledge and get involved. Um, We're going to continue our series on mental health. And uh, to do that, I've asked a few people in our community to share their thoughts on mental health and specifically respond to some prompts. And uh, so I want to start with just one of those videos today.
1: So uh, when we think about mental health in our family, we talk about it a lot. We try to do things together as a family that kind of helps our mental health. You know, we share meals together, we go on walks or, you know, just kind of read books and relax. But, um, I also kind of think about this idea, you know, Joe sent this phrase, um, can I have Jesus and a therapist? Uh, to me, that's like saying like, can I have Jesus and a mechanic or, um, can I have Jesus and a plumber? Like, you know, there are some things I know about how to fix my car or maybe how to, fix the pipes in my house, but sometimes I reach the end of what I know and I have to get an expert to take a look at it and give me some feedback and give me some ideas and help me learn what else needs to happen next. And I rely on a professional who's trained in knowing how to do those things. And so there definitely have been times for me personally, for us as a family where we do the things that we know that helps our mental health Um, But then we need to ask a a professional. We need to reach out and maybe go to a counseling session or do some individual work to learn about what do I need to do to help my mental health a little bit more. Um, and, And certainly a professional can give a lot of those kind of ideas. Um, so, I also asked uh, my daughter Alaylee to kind of share um, her thoughts. We talk about mental health a lot in our family, and so she has a pretty couple of cool practices that she's done.
0: Yeah, I feel like a few things that really help me are like calming meditation. Like, there's some videos on YouTube that I like where it really just helps me settle my thoughts and stuff. I've also recently found that yoga helps me with the like sort of mind-body thing, where if my body feels calm then my mind slows down and gets more,
1: I don't know, like... Yeah, I mean, it's, and stuff. it's been neat. If we notice that maybe a Laylee's mind is racing or she's having trouble sleeping, she can use those meditations or those mindfulness tools and she's able to do the things she needs for her mental health. And so it's things we do individually and that we do together as a family.
0: Over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue to hear stories and thoughts from people in our community, responding to some prompts around mental health. And I, I'll mention that if you have a story that you'd like to share, uh, please let me know. Um, we'd love to do that. There's this uh, Christian uh, shirt company, and uh, it makes all kinds of cool designs. And we've referenced their stuff in the past, called it happygivers.org or .com. Um, one of their designs says this. It was mentioned in the video. It says, uh, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist, too. It's a simple but provocative statement, and honestly, it's kind of sad that it needs to be said, um, but if you do want to say it and remind people of it, you can get a sticker or a shirt with it on it. Um, it's one of the things that I've asked people to respond to in the video, so you'll hear some of people's thoughts on it. The, the reality is, is the church, um, society at large, and especially the church, has an unhealthy relationship with mental health. Um, there's stigma uh, about mental health. Uh, in and out of the church, and and there shouldn't be. Uh, You can have this in a therapist, too. You can have Jesus, in fact, and you can be a, a, a person of committed faith, and you can still be experiencing depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, addictions. Some might feel that if you struggle with mental health, that there must be something wrong with your relationship with God. And you'll hear people say, and maybe you even think they say, you just need to trust God more. You just need to pray more. Uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that our struggles, whether they be mental health or otherwise, are not a sign that God is far from us. It's, it's, how we, it's what we're afraid of. We're like, oh, man, if there's something, if I, then it, that must mean God's far. But, it, but it's actually the opposite. If we are struggling, if we're hurting, if we're uh, depressed, we can rest assured that God is if this is even possible, that God is actually closer to us. That we believe in a God who draws close to those who are hurting. Psalm 34, 18 says it like this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is close to those who are struggling. If, if you're struggling um, or have struggled with mental health or something else, an illness, I can't, I can't promise that you'll get better tomorrow. I can't promise that faith will make it go away. I can't promise that when I pray for you that it'll be fixed. I can't promise you that the first therapist you see will help or that the second therapist you see will help or that the first medication you try will help. It's possible that it might not. I can't promise you any easy fixes, but I can promise you one thing. God is with you. And God hasn't abandoned you. And God is closer now than God has ever been to you. In Hebrews 4, it says it like this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. God God isn't a God up in the heavens, disconnected from our struggles or confused by our pain. God took on flesh, became a human in the person of Jesus, and knows exactly what it feels like to hurt. Think of it like this. Last week I got sick, I'm still recovering. I probably should be seated because I'm gonna wear myself out, but I'm just so excited this morning. That's on me. But I got, I got real sick, a fever, a 101, headache. Like I thought my head was gonna explode. I had chills, fatigue. Uh, my doctors reassured me that I'll have some minor symptoms today, but I'm not contagious. But you can keep your distance if you're worried. Um, I didn't get out of bed for a whole day. I was miserable. Well, last night, my son, seven-year-old Finn, Jumped up on the couch and he said to me, Dad, I'm cold and I have a headache. And I was just like, Oh my days. We took his temperature and of course he had a fever. Now, I had just gotten better, and and so the pain of that sickness was still very fresh, you know. Now my son had the same symptoms, and he looked miserable, and I knew it was only going to get worse. But I also knew, you know, some of the little things that helped me feel better, and so uh, we're getting him all set up and comfortable. And the whole time, I'm feeling in my body what I imagine he must be feeling, Because I just experienced it, and I'm just worried, and I'm committed to staying by his side, you know, as much as I can. Like, that's where I'm going after this, is to go check on my son, who's currently with my wife. Now, here's the question for you. Would any of you assume that when Finn gets sick, that I'd want to spend less time with him? That I'd use his suffering as a reason to be upset with him? That I'd be the kind of dad that would look at my sick son and say, man... This is on you, Finn. You should ate more vegetables. Do you really think that's what I would do? Of course not. So why in the hell would we think that's what God would do when we suffer? You think I'm better than God? I'm not. <laughs> and I try not to curse, but that was a theological term. it counts. I promise you this, that if you're hurting, the one thing you can count on is that God has not abandoned you, that God has drawn close to you. So much so, I'm going to drive this point home, friends. Jesus tells us this, Matthew 25. Jesus says to his disciples, and, and I'm paraphrasing, you can look it up for yourself in Matthew 25. Jesus says that if you want to draw close to Jesus, if you're like, where is Jesus in the world? You have to find the people who are suffering and love them. Because in loving people who are suffering, it's as if you're loving Jesus. And in other words, Jesus is so committed to drawing close to those who are suffering that he says, if you're looking for me, you will find me there. That's where I'm at. You find someone who's hurting, hungry, naked, in prison, etc., And if you love on them, you enter into a loving relationship with them, you'll find me there too that's where God is. God is with the hurting. So struggles aren't a sign of weakness or a sign that God isn't with you or a sign that you aren't trusting God enough. If you're struggling, you can rest assured that God is not only with you, but God has made it clear to anyone else looking for God that God, they'll find God when they meet you. That's how much God is willing to identify with your pain. And that's the God that we believe in. So as we continue this conversation on mental health, I wanna pick up where we left off last week. When you arrived, we passed out a mental health toolkit. You might've got one last week. Uh, if not, hopefully you got one this week. If you have one at home and you didn't bring it and you wanna follow along, we'll get you one. Uh, Christy has them here and we'd love to have you do that. Uh, just raise your hand or make a nod and she'll get it to you. What we have found is that there are very simple practices that can actually help us feel better about ourselves. Uh, better about our life, there are practices that can help us regulate, calm down, and process hard things. And and with help from Jesse, who you met on the video a little bit ago, we put this little toolkit together. It it doesn't include all of the things you can do, but it provides some of the more common ones. They include things like uh, breathing, music, movement, play, uh, finding a quiet space, resting, eating, and connecting. And then there's a blank card in there for you to write your own practice, so maybe a specific branch of one of these, like meditation or yoga or something else. So I want to spend time looking at each one today, except for the last, one of them we'll look at next week. And, and I want to consider what the Bible says about these and why they can help us in times of mental health crisis. So the first one is to breathe. As I mentioned last week, very briefly, we see in the very beginning of the Bible how God created humankind out of the dust and dirt of this world and then animated our fragile bodies with the breath of life. That every single person, in fact, Genesis makes it clear that every single creature who takes a breath has the very breath of God in them. So stopping to breathe is as basic and as holy as it comes. Here's what I learned about stress and anxiety, Um, conflict and struggles. When there is stress or anxiety or conflict, one of the best things that I've learned that I can do is to slow down. You see, when we face stress, anxiety, we often as humans move into flight or fight mode, flight or fight. Which is generally a healthy way to respond to actual threats. Okay, this is why our bodies do this. Like, I want you to imagine that you're in a forest and a bear comes up on you. You need to decide very quickly if you're going to fight this bear or run away from this bear. You don't got a lot of other options. You've got to make a decision, like right away. And I'm not sure which way I'm going. Depends on the resources I have with me. But that's why fight or flight matters. Yet, if you struggle with anxiety like me, for me, one of the things that gives me anxiety is emails. Am I the only one in the house? Anyone else find anxiety from emails? A few of us? Okay, yeah. I thought I might not be the only ones. I'm going to talk about emails. You can replace it with your thing. Except for those in the room that don't. Get anxious, and God bless you. We should be friends. So when I, uh, when I, if someone sends an email, especially if there's like some conflict or tension, and maybe I'm worried that they're mad at me, it trips my brain to think that I either need to completely ignore it and run away, or shoot back an email with lots of aggressive language. Like my brain thinks I've just walked up on a bear, and I need to fight or flight. Now, an email as threatening as it absolutely feels to be is not the same thing as a bear. Can we agree? Okay, for all of you who struggle with emails, I've created a very simple graphic to help us remember. We'll put this up here. Emails (laughs) do not equal bears. Now, if it's not emails for you, replace that with something else. It is not a bear. They can't actually hurt you. They won't kill you, at least, as far as I understand, in most normal situations, unless you're in a really bad action movie where it's involved some sort of debt, it doesn't matter. And here's the way you could be sure um, that it's not going to hurt you by stopping to breathe. I was thinking about this. If you have time to stop and take a couple of deep breaths and find that you're still alive, you'll know that it's not a real physical threat. And I believe that when we do that, we pause, we take a couple deep breaths. It allows our body to come to terms with that thing that we think is a real threat but isn't really. Because here's the thing. Breathing in and out slowly will not help you if there's an actual bear attacking you. Okay? Which means if you have time to stop, breathe in and out, then you can know for certain that you're not facing a real threat. And if you can breathe in and out, your body will have time to realize that it's not really in danger. It's, it's just gotten a bear confused with an email. So, for this, this, this is a great tool for relaxing, for getting clarity, for helping your body and your mind get out of that fight in flight mode. So that's breathing. Just one way to think about breathing. Uh, This also ties to meditation and lots of other stuff, including um, Christy mentioned in a sermon recently, breath prayers. Um, And if you're interested in those or you missed it, you can check it on the podcast or we can send you her notes. But for now, uh, we'll move on to the next one. Let's look at the next one, which is music. My middle name is David, and so I've always connected with the story of David in the Bible. And David has an epic story, and there's so many memorable parts of David's story. You might be familiar with some of them. Have you ever heard of David and Goliath? Pretty, pretty well-known story. David and Bathsheba, not his finest moment, but a lot of epic moments in his story. But there's one part that gets told as often that doesn't get told as often as the others, and it's how David was a musician. And before David was king, he was a shepherd, musician, poet. And much of the book of Psalms, uh, Israel's hymn book, is attributed to David. And so we can assume, at least traditionally, that he was a great musician and singer-songwriter. And at the time, uh, when David was uh, still a shepherd, uh, this man named Saul was king, first king of Israel. And uh, the simple truth of the matter is that Saul uh, wasn't doing a good job as king. Uh, being king for Saul was a really bad fit, you could say. Um, he was Israel's first king, and he just couldn't figure it out. He wasn't meeting the expectations. I would argue that anyone who was going to be f- the first king would probably face the same struggles. It's just part of the office of like, trying to figure it out. But he, he refused to step down. He was living as king, failing at it, unwilling to do anything else. And so basically he's stuck in a bad job. I'm oversimplifying it. But um, he really struggled. And, and I'll just add that this is not an uncommon fact. In fact, it's very common for our mental health to take a toll when we're working somewhere that is a bad fit, okay? Uh, mental health due to workplace dynamics, very common. So Saul is king. He's failing. He's stubborn. He won't quit. So his mental health takes a toll, and he has these fits and these breakdowns and this anxiety, and we're not in all of the, the picture, but he's not doing well. And so you know what they do? To help him, they bring in a musician, like the original music therapy. And since he's the king, they want to find the best musician. So, of course, that's our boy David. And this little shepherd, poet, songwriter, David, comes, and he plays music. And, and look, how, look how it helps. 1 Samuel 16, 23 says, David took the lyre and strummed the tune, and Saul got relief from his terror and felt better. Saul got relief from his terror and felt better. Music is powerful. This is a powerful tool in your mental health toolkit. So I encourage you to find music that can help you relax. And for many, it might be music like David played, you know, something on a harp or quiet piano music, melodic guitar, calming music. Uh, but I encourage you not to limit yourself to that music. I have found calming music to not calm me down. Um, For me, and this might sound crazy to some of you, but it's very common, especially people who are neurodiverse, I have found, that when I'm feeling elevated, when I'm overwhelmed, I find two styles of music to help me calm down. One is just this edgy, alternative, hard rock, you know, just rooted in a nice modern garage and blues rock. Like if you're curious, one song in particular, Royal's Blood, Royal Blood's Out of the Black. That song calms me down so much. It does. Do you want to hear it? We don't have to play it. I will... Okay, hold on. Before you play it, this is rock and roll. You are allowed to cover your ears if you can't handle it. Oh... It's uh, my phone decided to play it on my phone. Uh, Siri was listening. Uh, well, let's listen to it just a little bit here. Don't you just feel more relaxed already now? Why did I make you listen to that devil's music? (laughs) Because I don't want you to uh, think certain kinds of music work for everyone, right? The sound of a harp played to the background of the ocean might be what you need, or you might need something a little bit more aggressive. You do. So so the other music that has really helped me is the hip hop artist, uh, NF. Um, He struggles a lot with mental health and he basically every song is about mental health and so when I'm really struggling or really depressed I've connected deeply with his lyrics and his thoughts on mental health and his journey of wrestling with OCD and etc. So that's the power of music. Let's go to the next one which is uh, move. This is really the secret to feeling better. Every person I've met who has committed to movement in their life has told me that has had a direct uh, impact on their mental health. This includes running, walking, yoga, lifting weights, exercise and movement consistently makes people feel better. It's what my doctor always recommends to me. He has prescribed me medication for my depression and anxiety, and it's great, I love it, big fan but he also reminds me that it's important to exercise, to move, and to eat healthy. And I know that when I'm feeling down or anxious, all it takes is a nice hike in the woods to get me sort of back on track. My my anxieties seem to be less pronounced, my thoughts more clear, I feel more alive. So if you haven't included movement into your regular routine, if you haven't given it a try in improving your mental health, um, you're really missing out. So we could talk about that one a lot, but for now, I wanna leave it there and jump to the next one. We're gonna be uh, skipping play this week, and we're going to move to uh, a, a, a different one. So one of the, my favorite stories in the Old Testament is about Elijah. Uh, you can read uh, about it in 1 Kings chapter 19. And what I realized today is that in this one chapter, he covers four of our mental health tools. The truth is, is that he was having a very hard time, and one response wasn't going to do it, which, uh, you know, is pretty typical. He needed tons of responses. It's not just one. So Elijah was really struggling. You can see it described in First Kings uh, chapter 19. He says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. All right, he's just, I'm over it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I've had enough Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He was suicidal, just life had become unbearable. He he felt everyone hated him. He had done some pretty aggressive things. The chapter before, you can read it for yourself. So he's dealing with that. His calling and what he felt God was asking him to do was too great to carry. His work was too much of a burden. He couldn't handle it anymore. And this is what I love. God's going to address him, but before God addresses him, God needs to do some triage on him. And so God sends an angel. So he's kind of moving into the you know, to this session with God, but before that, he's got to get, you know talk to the nurse. And so God sends an angel. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, God, uh, get up and eat. He looked around and there was, uh, by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. And I love how basic this is. He eats some food, fresh-baked bread, by the way. Got to smell good, so it's just nice. And he drinks some water, which is such a, like, stereotypical, you know, like, drink, you know, it's like such a parent thing, like, drink more water. And he drinks his water and he takes a nap. This is a grown man. And he eats, and he drinks, and he takes a nap, which leads us to two of our cards, rest and eat. Look, friends, sometimes you just need a nap and a stack. I mean, it's just the reality is. Like, sometimes you just need a nap, and I don't care how old you are. In fact, the older I get, the more I need just a nap and a snack. And, and so this is what Elijah, he engages. Now, there's a lot more we could say about the healthy food we eat and what it means to really rest right but but you get the idea you can kind of dig into that yourself but he eats and he rests and then he wakes up he must be feeling a little bit better because now he kind of enters into the doctor's room and god's going to meet with him and so i love that god waited until he had kind of slept and ate before addressing him you know wise advice for any of us who are loving on people who are struggling And he tells god he, he lets out you know he's like god i'm just i'm just so discouraged and he tells god how hard everything is and so god says okay I'm going to come down and meet you face to face, which, by the way, do, do you know where we, st- like, if you needed any more proof that when we struggle, God draws closer, God's like, "Who? I see what you're going through, let's get a meeting on the calendar, I need to meet you, I'm going to move closer to you because of your struggles, So here Elijah is struggling and God is like, go to this mountain and I'll come down and meet you on this mountain. What I love about this story is how unexpected that meeting ends up. Like imagine you're writing a story or making a movie where someone's gonna actually not hear the voice of God but like meet God face to face. Like God, like God of the universe. How would you describe it? You know, bright lights, fire, wind, something big and profound that would be worthy of the God. Look how Elijah experiences God and consider how God has unraveled the assumptions we make about God. In 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, it says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire. And at this point, I'm like, <laughs> I'd be more stressed. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah knew that he had experienced God in the whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out, stood at the mouth of cave. He realizes by pulling the hood over it, he's like, I have met God. He met God in the whisper. This brings us to uh, finding a quiet space. You know, sometimes we just need all the noises and the chaos of the world to be put away, and we need to find a place we can calm down. Downstairs in our children's area, we have a uh, cozy corner little cozy corner down there, and the kids came up with the instructions on how to use it. I'm going to read that. You can't hardly see it on the screen. I'll read it to you. It's a, here are the cozy corner expectations. Uh, One, it's a calm down space. Two, think how you feel. Good instructions for all of us, friends. Two, or number three, this is from the children, by the way. Talk to yourself, you know. Number four: treat the cozy corner with respect. Five: don't think take things out. Six, one person at a time. Otherwise, it's going to be too cozy. Seven, just three to five minutes. OK? Eight: Don't go in there unless you need it. And nine: leave shoes outside the cozy corner. Oh, That's great. I hope wherever you live, you've got yourself a cozy corner. You can come up with your own rules. Maybe even allow shoes in them. I don't know. Because it's the best place to meet God. It's the best place to, it's a powerful way to allow us to get stability and move out of that fight or flight. Not in the noise or the busyness of life, but in those quiet spaces. So Elijah, after eating sleeping, uh, drinking some water, and experiencing God in the quiet space. He's informed that he won't have to carry this burden by himself anymore. He's told that he will have an apprentice. This is where Elijah is going to appoint Elisha. So similar names, different people. And you'll not only, uh, this guy's not only going to help him carry the load, but he'll eventually take over. So basically God in this encounter with God after this major mental health breakdown, God's like, don't worry, you don't have to do this forever. Which if you've ever been stuck somewhere doing something that's soul-sucking. That's good news. He's like, you're not going to have to do this forever. You're going to have a replacement. In verse 19, it says this, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Elisha would work with him, so he didn't have to do it alone, and he would take the work on after him, which takes us to the last card we're going to look at today, which is connect. Life is easier when we do it together. Paul says in Galatians 6 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This, this very basic law that Christ gave us to love others as we love ourselves, that command of Christ to love our neighbors as ourselves, Paul says that you will fulfill that law when you carry each other's burdens. In other words, in Paul's mind, and I would say I agree with Paul on this, we can't love each other if we're not willing to help each other. So I hope that some of these cards that we have here and these prompts are helpful for you, whether it's taking time to breathe so that you can remember that emails are not bears or finding music that can help you feel better and find relief or, or taking multiple cards at a time, like Elijah, you know, taking time to eat and to sleep and to finding your quiet space and finding those people who can help carry that burden. Hope you'll find what you need. Each of these could be their own sermon, but I hope, uh, I'm trusting that you're able to take these basic prompts and use them in a meaningful way. So next week, we're gonna look at the last one uh, on uh, play, uh, whole, whole week just on play because I'm Enneagram seven. And uh, if you know what that means. Um, and also, it will just be really fits with next week as we're having a couple of uh, infant baptisms, and it's you'll, you'll see it's going to be very exciting. So I hope that you'll uh, join us um, and uh, how play is uh, essential w- uh, to having a healthy mental life, especially if you're struggling. So I hope you'll join us. With that, I invite you to pray with me. God, we give you thanks. That in the midst of all of life's struggles, in the midst of all of life's noises and chaos, when everything eventually settles when the earthquakes and the fires and the wind settle you are there and you've been there the whole time you've never left us you've never abandoned us so awaken our senses to your presence remind us that you love us more than we could ever love our children and that whatever we're going through you have not abandoned us Help us be a community that shows up like Elisha, sent by God to help carry each other's burdens for they are too heavy to carry on our own. We trust that you're able to help us become the best version of ourselves to live healthy lives that impact the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.